right, well, we are going to start tonight off by talking about our bodies. And you may be wondering what our bodies have anything to do with our mental health. Because often we think of our bodies and our minds and our souls as kind of these different spheres, these different entities. But really, as we will discuss more tonight, they are much more connected than we may think. The culture we live in puts a lot of emphasis on our bodies, but maybe not in the greatest way. There's a lot of pressure to look a certain way or to perform a certain way. There's a lot of discussion about the ideal body type or the ideal appearance. But as we all know, this game of comparison only leads to feelings of inadequacy as we do everything we can to try to fix all of our flaws or to stop the clock or to find the perfect diet that'll work the best for us. But we know that it is an empty well that has no true satisfaction in it. Even if you do not happen to struggle with body image, it's easy to think of your body as kind of a means to an end, something that we have to bear through or suffer with or just tolerate while we are in this world, this container of sorts for the more important things like our mind or our soul. Maybe at times we think of our bodies as nothing but evil flesh that is constantly just trying to lure us into temptation. But viewing our bodies through any of these lenses can cause us to miss how God designed our bodies and the true intention he had for them. I want to go to Psalms 139. I know you will all be familiar with this, verses 13 through 15. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. I know you're probably hearing this a lot in like baby dedications and graduations. It's that season. But as I read this again, this phrase, skillfully wrought, stuck out to me. It comes from a word that I looked up the pronunciation for, but I can't remember at this moment, so I'm not going to say it. But it means to mix colors, to embroider, to curiously work. So it paints this beautiful picture of an artist who's delighting in his creation as he's making it, taking his time to get every brush stroke or texture just right, using every ounce of curiosity or creativity to make this creation exactly what he wants it. And that creation is us. He put that amount of thought into us. Not just one part or piece of us, but the sum of who we are, including our bodies. When I step, step back and think about just how intricate the design of our bodies is, it kind of blows my mind a little bit to just think that every person who has ever lived has a unique fingerprint. Or the way that our minds are constantly firing and learning and growing it's really hard to even grasp how much care God put into creating us. So as research begins to uncover more and more about us as humans, it really just uncovers more and more of the way that God designed us. 
every piece of us is linked and connected and working together to serve us in the best way it can. Our bodies and minds work better together than they do separately. When I was preparing for this talk, I was talking some things out that I was thinking about mentioning to Caleb, and he kept saying, but wait, is that your body or your mind? And I was like, um, both, together. Option C, I don't know, it's all of it, because our bodies and minds are created to be integrated and to be this system that one seamlessly flows into the other. They are working as two pieces of a whole. They are designed to function together. All right, let's do a little exercise, if you guys don't mind. How many of you could recall right now what the first car you owned was? Can you raise your hand? Yeah, so a lot of us. How many of you could tell me what your first grade teacher's name was? Yeah. How many of you could tell me what two plus two is? Yeah. All right, we won't go into like multiplication or anything like that. But So these are all examples of something we call explicit memory. These are memories that we have the ability to recall. We can bring to the forefront of our mind, and we know these things. We are aware of them. We first form this ability to form explicit memories around the age of two, or maybe a little bit earlier. But we have another form of memory called implicit memory that actually begins before we are even born. It starts in our mother's womb. Our implicit memory records everything that ever happened to us, whether we are aware of it or not. So we are not paying attention to this, but we are designed this way so that our body can take in information constantly to assess whether we are safe or not. It gives us this really cool ability called neuroception. Can everyone say that? Yeah, neuroception is this process of automatic threat detection that is constantly going on subconsciously in us. So basically, you're a spy kid, whether you knew it or not. So when the body detects that something may be unsafe, it automatically sends us into a stress response to that threat. This happens not in minutes, not even in seconds, but in nanoseconds, almost immediately. It doesn't give us time to go all the way up to cognitive thought to choose how we want to respond, but rather our body chooses a reaction before we are even aware of it doing so. So I want to give an example here. Let's say that you are at the park with a friend, and all of a sudden, this golden retriever starts running at you. Immediately, your whole body floods with fear, and you just kind of freeze in place. You don't know why you had that reaction, but it could be that your body remembers a time that you were attacked by a dog when you were four years old, even if you can't consciously remember that happening. So your body is using implicit memory to signal to the lower parts of your brain that you are in danger, and it chooses a response. But your friends, on the other hand, may have no hint of fear at this moment. They may immediately get down on their knees and start trying to play with the dog because maybe they grew up with a friendly dog and they've never had this experience that makes a dog equal a threat in their mind. So their neuroception had no reason to fire. Their body had no reason to react as if the dog was a threat. 
So this is just one of the ways that research has shown that our body is not only a way for us to be housed while we are here on earth, but it actually plays a vital role in how we experience the world and how we experience God. Nothing about the way we were formed was accidental. And each part of us is interwoven together so intricately. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we see here that our bodies were not only created with intentional design, but they are also purposed to help us glorify God. When we keep these perspectives in mind, how our bodies were created to serve us and serve our creator, we can change our posture from our bodies being at the least an inconvenience or at the most something that is bad or shameful and we can then approach our physical experiences in the world and ask, how can I nourish the body God's given me and honor the way he created it? I want to go through some practical ways we can nourish and honor our bodies and in turn improve our mental health. We can nourish our bodies through the way we eat. We'll start with the most obvious one. Our bodies on a cellular level are literally made up of the things we eat. So it's no wonder that studies have shown that eating whole, unprocessed foods in the way that God designed them can greatly help with things such as depression and anxiety. We can nourish and honor our bodies in the way that we move them. Physical exercise is not just about losing weight or improving athletic ability, but it has also been shown to have a greatly positive impact on depression, anxiety, and ADHD. It also helps to reduce stress, improve memory, improve our quality of sleep, and boost our overall sense of well-being. Are you seeing how these all kind of tie together as we begin to take care of our bodies? Another big way we can treat our bodies well is to rest well. We see this precedent in scripture with God creating day and night, periods that were intended for rest every single day. And we also see this in the concept of Sabbath, which is not only physical sleep, but soulful rest from the pressures of everyday life. There's a lot of brain science here that I won't get into, but basically, while your body is sleeping, your brain is at work. That is the time your brain starts to process and put in order all of the information it's taken in throughout the day, starts to consolidate our memories. So without quality rest, it's difficult for our brains to function in the way that they were designed. Sleep is so vital. Sleep deprivation has been linked to much higher levels of depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and even suicidal ideation. So these are some of the cornerstones of how we can honor the way God designed our bodies to work, but there are other ways as well. We honor our bodies through the way that we dress, the way that we interact with people. It's okay to have personal space. This is a physical, tangible form of a boundary, as Brother Bland talked about. And we honor our bodies in the way that we listen to them. So if we think back to the conversation about 
implicit memory and neuroception, there are a lot of other concepts that we could dig into here, but the premise is that our bodies have important things to say to us. Going back to Psalms 139, this picture of God creating us, one of the definitions of that phrase, skillfully wrought, was to curiously work. I love that concept of God almost being curious. What's it going to be? What's it going to feel like? What's it going to sound like? What would it be like to take that same level of curiosity and apply it to our experience in the world? So let's take the example of the dog at the park. Maybe after you felt flooded with fear and you froze in place, you felt embarrassed. Why was I so afraid of this dog, this obviously very friendly dog? So not only did you feel embarrassed, but then you felt ashamed too. That was so dumb that I reacted that way. In this way, we can avoid ever truly learning about ourselves and our experiences and may continue to react to situations in ways that we don't understand. Instead, if we approached our response with curiosity, we might say something like, huh, I wonder what that was about. I felt really scared. I'm not sure why. This leaves the door open for us to notice patterns and themes in our lives, almost treating our experiences as data points to be curious about. So this whole conversation comes back to trusting God as our creator and knowing that he has formed every detail of who we are with intentionality. He made our bodies and our minds and our souls to work together in harmony, and we can steward his creation in a way that ultimately points the glory back to him. Now Sister Joy Bland is going to come, and she's going to speak to us a little bit more about the mind and how it relates to mental health. Okay, excellent job. I think we should be done, but apparently we're not. So, okay, so um, just as a healthy habits with our, our body and our physical nature um, can create some, <clears throat> some areas in which it will cultivate a, um, a, a mental wellness aspect, healthy thinking or our healthy mind allows us to have um, an overall healthier um, healthier outlook on life. So I want to talk about our thinking and how that can affect us. Um, just how it can affect us, like she said, it's so interwoven, how it affects us completely, how it affects the way we feel about ourselves, which might affect how our body reacts to things, which might affect how we interact with people, which might affect, I mean, it just, the list goes on. So we want to, we want to address what might be the issue here with our thinking. So unfortunately, um, a lot of our thinking is unconscious. We have some conscious thoughts, but there's a lot of things that just kind of happen unconsciously. And you're like, whoa, like she said, whoa, why was I scared at that dog? That happened. I don't understand why that happened, but okay. And sometimes it can put us in a negative space because we had a thought and we've allowed it to maintain in a negative, we, we allow ourselves to maintain in a negative headspace. So, um, I'm going to come up with this, so I've come up with a scenario, and we're going to kind of do a little self-inventorying about how that might affect us. So say you and I pass each other in the hallway out here. You look at me, say hi. 
and smile at me. And I don't acknowledge that. I just keep walking and don't smile back, don't acknowledge the wave, don't say hi back. There's some things that might happen to you when that happens. You might start thinking, that was incredibly rude. How dare she ignore me? What gives her the right to think she's better that she doesn't need to respond when I've clearly given the wave, the high? She, that's just, that's rude. That, how ill-mannered. Why, you know, why would she behave that way? Joy is just a rude person. It, conclusion, Joy's a jerk. That's what you come up with. That's one thought. Another person, that same interaction might happen. Another person might think, oh, my word. I just waved and smiled and said hello to her. She didn't respond. Is she mad at me? Did I do something wrong? Well, are we in a fight that I don't know about? I mean, uh, why do I do things wrong? Why do I always mess up? Why do people not like me? What did I do wrong that makes me not to where people, they just, they just don't like me. They don't choose me. Why, why am I constantly feeling this rejection? What did I do wrong? That might be a second type of thinking. Or we have the third scenario, and I've only come up with three. There's probably 15, but I only came up with three. So we have the third scenario. We pass each other in the hallway. You wave hi, say hello. I keep walking. Don't acknowledge it. You pause. Hmm, that was odd. She must have been preoccupied. Maybe she didn't hear me. Of those three, it's pretty obvious which one might be the healthiest thinking that you, would have, that, that you would have come up with. Of those three in this setting, we can logically come up with the idea that choice three or choice C was the right one. That's clearly an option there. But how often are we in that moment and we get, we get caught in choice A or B? How often do we misread a situation or attribute motives in a situation that causes our thinking to start going in that negative space. It happens all the time. It just depends on how we're going to allow our brain to think in a more positive light. And so, so, it's, so it's, it's one of those things to be aware that this can happen. It's another thing to figure out how to stop it and how to address it and how to make sure that you don't continue living in that space, okay? So it's obvious. So, so while choice C was the obvious one, let's do some self-inventory. Let's make sure that we are the type that allow ourselves the idea that choice C could have really been what happened. Okay? So the cure for this is just to recognize if I start going down that path of choice A to where I end up, Joy's a jerk. Okay, because she ignored me. She did it on purpose. Everything was wrong there. She was just a jerk. She wasn't paying attention. She's stuck up. She doesn't like people. If I, if I, if I start going down that headspace, there needs to be a time where I'm consciously aware that, hey, this is negative. I'm borrowing trouble here. I'm, rec I'm, I'm perceiving things that may not be truth. And I need to stop myself and say, are there alternative options that could be the truth here? At any rate, it's important for you to recognize when you are thinking all those negative thoughts, nobody outside of your head knows that negativity is happening. You could absolutely hate me for being the jerk that you perceived me to be, but I don't know that. It's not hurting me 
that you're thinking that I'm a jerk. It's only hurting you. So that negative thinking is going to cause you to start doubting yourself, mistrusting people. You might in any other situation, if someone, if another scenario presents itself where you feel ignored or feel overlooked, you might perceive, well, that person's a jerk too. At some point, not the whole world is a jerk. Maybe we have something wrong, okay? Something wrong in our thinking. So it's important to recognize when that's happening. If I'm the other person who just takes responsibility for everything bad in the world and feels like I've caused all the hardships and, well, she, she doesn't like me, why is she mad? And I have immediately assumed that responsibility. Again, I don't have any idea that you're feeling that. You're assuming that responsibility that may be totally mislaid and totally mis It is mislaid and misguided. Like, nobody, nobody, there was no conversation that led you to believe or that that overtly told you, hey, I'm mad at you. You should feel badly about that. You did something wrong. There was no conversation. There was no exchange of information that indicated that. You perceived all of that, and you perceived it all right here. Okay, so there's some reasons why these are some automatic thoughts, and that's what I really want to address. We might have core beliefs that are developed very young in life, maybe some trauma that happened to us, Maybe some events that seem to happen at very pivotal moments in our life that caused us to believe certain things about ourselves, And because of that, we have constructed our entire life based on that core belief that is misguided. Perhaps you, you, accept, you experienced acute rejection as a child. Or you had uh, <clears throat> a parent who walked out on you. Or you were abused as a child. You can develop some core beliefs that are misguided based on that and you don't even know that you're projecting that misguided belief on other situations you're not aware that that is what's happening but that is what's happening okay so a core belief starts it can be something like i'm worthless people just naturally don't like me i'm always misunderstood i'm unlovable it can be it can be that dark it can be that it can be that dark. I guess there's no other way to phrase it. So that can be a core belief that I can look at scenarios and automatically misread that I'm unlovable. People are going to treat me badly. So I either have to take responsibility for it and try to turn myself into a pretzel to please everyone, or I'm going to be an advocate and I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm going to be a vigilante on my own behalf. And the whole world's going to pay because they're not going to treat me that way. Again, the whole world can't be a jerk. So let's, re let's retrain our thinking a little bit. <clears throat> it's really important to recognize that feelings are not facts. Just because I feel something, and I'm not trying to invalidate feelings here or emotions here, just because I feel something doesn't necessarily make it a fact, okay? I have to think it through. I have to recognize that there are t alternative options to perhaps what I perceive to have happened in that moment. So we've got the core belief that could be wrong. We also have some faulty logics. Those sometimes dovetail into core beliefs. A misguided core belief, we already discussed. A faulty logic based on that core belief that I am, um, remember I gave the scenario of you, you might have been abused by a father figure or you might have had a parent walk out on you. Based on that, I'm going to assume that every, every person in authority um, is untrustworthy. Logically speaking, that's been my experience. I can't trust them. That's a faulty logic. My thinkings 
going to be that I can't trust people in authority. I'm in this whole big world by myself. I have to figure things out. That's a very lonely way to live. That's a very lonely way to try to um, succeed in life, and your social interactions are going to be impacted by it, okay? So it's, it's, really, it's really important that we start addressing these things when we, suit, when we first learn them. So having a healthier mind, recognizing that immediate negative thinking is key. Giving yourself alternative options to what could possibly be the truth here is the second step. Okay, and recognizing when I start allowing there to be alternative op options such as, oh, maybe Joy just didn't see me, or maybe she didn't hear me, that's, that's taking us both off the hook. I'm showing mercy to this individual who has no idea that I'm having this war in my mind. I'm showing mercy to myself by, by allowing myself to believe that, hey, maybe people just aren't mad at me. Maybe I am worth something. Maybe people can actually like me. And that's a positive thing, too. You're improving your self-concept or your self-worth, self-affirming. We're better. We feel better about ourselves, so our social interactions are going to be healthier. And healthy emotions allow us to rationalize better. You will get better at this, but you have to start noticing it now. So in a nutshell, healthy emotions uh, allow us to socialize better, allow us to rationalize better, allow us just to think better thoughts about ourself. You'll sleep better. All the things that she discussed as far as being a physical element, that kind of, or being in our body, that kind of stuff will start happening a little easier for you. The word of God routinely gives us advice on how we should be thinking. It tells us to set our affections or our thoughts on things above. Don't get caught up with what's going on down here. Don't perceive someone is mad at you just to borrow that kind of trouble. Okay, and I know I'm using the word don't here, but I want you to understand I'm speaking the truth in love here. Try your best to be conscious and aware of when that happens. If you text a friend and they, they take a half a second longer than you think they should to respond, their phone might be away from them. They might be in a crowded room and just not have the most emotional capacity to answer you in that second. They're not mad at you. They're not ignoring you. Show them some mercy there. So in those moments, show some mercy. Set your affections and your thoughts on things above. Don't get caught up on things on the earth. And lastly, Philippians 4.8. This is the key to, to healthy thinking. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. In a nutshell, that is what we are supposed to do. If it's lovely, if it's virtuous, if it's of good report, if it's true, think about it. Otherwise, allow it to roll off you and set your affections on things above because that's where they belong anyway. I love you and thank you for listening. And today's her birthday. Happy birthday. First Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, 
which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your, and in your, which are God's. Love the Lord your God with all your. This is why I say everything is spiritual. And what I mean by that is if I'm tired, I don't preach as good. You must be tired a lot. When I'm, (laughs) when you're grouchy, you don't worship near as much at church. When you don't feel good, you're really not ready to go knock doors and witness to anybody. When you come in here and you are on the border of bankruptcy, it's hard for you to focus your attention on God. So why do we do stuff like this? Because everything about us, we're body, soul, and spirit. We cannot take those things apart. And it's vitally important for us to understand that everything affects us. We glorify God in our bodies, in our mind, which belong to him. They're bought with a price. We are in the, we're not changed yet. We will be changed from the mortal to immortal when we see him someday. But while we're still here on this earth, we still are in the flesh, we could say. But the Bible says that we can have abundant life. The Bible says we can have peace that passes all understanding. The Bible says we can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. The Bible says there are pleasures forevermore at his right hand. That's speaking to us now. And so this concept of why does it matter what all these things and why does it matter what we think about and why does it, because it affects everything about us. Can you imagine a church that you came in and every marriage was just, there's, they can't get happier. Every kid is perfect. Everybody has a 34-inch waist. Can you imagine? Everybody is healthy. Everybody is a multimillionaire. Can you imagine a church like that? Again, I don't want to be too carnal on that, but you understand when you came in, there would be a lot of smiles There'd be a lot of maybe happiness. Why? Because we don't have a lot of stressors on our life. Well, this ain't that church. But on the flip side of that, we have to understand that we need to do our best to do what the Word of God says. And some of that is you gird up the loins of your mind. You think on those things. You glorify God in your body. You do certain things. It's sometimes our responsibility to do certain things. I'm not interested, and I'll be very, very careful, but I've not been voted out yet, and all of my mouth running sometimes, but I'm not interested in ever pastoring a church that's dumb. Well, what's that mean? I don't need to tell you what toilet paper to buy. Don't ask me. There are some people who pastor churches, they tell them every move to make. I'm not interested in that. Why do we do stuff like this? Because you're full-functioning people, and you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Am I responsible for some things? Absolutely. And I'll try my best. But we can crank up the music, and I promise you, I can raise the key at just the right time, and we'll shout and dance. Nothing wrong with that. But when you land, you still need to walk circumspectly. You still need to know how to walk according to his word and his will. And if I'm not here, you still need to be a Christian. And if nobody's watching, you still need to do what's right. Again, not being harsh, but you understand what I'm saying here. Sometimes we're so dependent on what can the church give me. No, it's not about what the church can give me. What can you give the church? You need to stop sucking on the bottle and eat some steak because it's time to grow up and go to the next level. Because we are called to do what he has asked us to do. We are called to do it according to his word and according to his will. I'm going to start down this path. I've not even hit my notes yet, but start down this path for a minute. And, and, and again, you're going to have to think hard and fast with me. Psychologist Leon Fetzinger in 1957, he defined uh, a coined a phrase, cognitive dissonance, as a psychological discomfort arising from holding two or more inconsistent attitudes, behaviors, or cognitions, where our thoughts and our behaviors our beliefs, our actions, they're different. And so we have this cognitive dissonance or we have this distress or this discomfort and it can cause, if going on long enough, it can cause a nervous breakdown. I know have people who have had tumors removed and have had heart conditions all because of stress in their body. And the reason many times of that stress is because sin and because they know what they're doing and it's causing this cognitive dissonance. For example, and let's use an outlier here, if you believe smoking's bad for your health but continue to smoke, your actions and your belief are out of line, you're going to have cognitive dissonance. You're going to have some distress over that. Why? I know smoking's bad, but I'm going to do it. My actions are doing it. So in other words, your attitude and your belief and your behavior, they've got to line up or you're going to have this stress. You're going to have this cognitive dissonance. So believing cigarettes are bad for your health, but smoking cigarettes anyway, going to cause cognitive dissonance. Therefore, as people, we're going to do something about it. So to reduce cognitive dissonance, individuals, what can they do? First of all, they can change their behavior. Quit smoking, case closed. Smoking is bad for you. I don't smoke anymore. Therefore, okay, no more cognitive dissonance. It's that easy. Other people, however, they don't quit smoking. And so what they have to do is they start changing their belief that, well, it's maybe not as bad for me as they say it is. Or I smoke filtered cigarettes, so they're not as bad as unfiltered. And we're justifying things. But some people may not do that. So another way they quiet the discomfort or the dissonance is by changing their belief into something that, you know, smoking's not harmful. It's no big deal. I don't believe what they say about it. So changing those cognitions or changing my mind or my rationale. This is where we tell ourselves that, you know, the health risks aren't that big and they don't know what they're talking about. So follow along here. If I truly believe this, I either have to change my belief or I'm going to have to change my actions or I'm going to have to change my thoughts about this because they're not adding up. So sometimes people will, what we will say, add another cognition. They'll add another level of thought and they'll say things like, well, smoking suppresses my ap ap 
appetite so I don't become, so I don't eat in near as much because it's dangerous to be too heavy also. So what have I done? I justified smoking. Because if I don't smoke, I'm going to get too heavy, and that's dangerous too, so I might as well smoke. I've added a cognition in there, so I'm, I'm justifying something here. So in other words, we add those things to be able to line something up. If not, there's too much dissonance. Now, hear me out. The Bible tells us the flesh and the spirit war against one another. Romans 8, 7 says, because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither can be. James 4, 4 tells us, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So do you hear this? This pulling back and forth, being in the church but not wanting to live in the church, but being close to God but not wanting to get too close to God. It's this constant battle that causes cognitive dissonance. This causes great stress. This causes mental disorders. This causes sicknesses in our body. And you're wild tonight. I'm telling you, because many times we, 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 we put the body and mind over here and we put the spirit man over here. You cannot do that. Your spirit man affects your flesh. Your flesh affects your spirit man. It is all together. So let's think of Adam and Eve. Adam knew not to eat of the fruit of the certain tree, he had to explain that to Eve, obviously, because she knew it also. She, she knew that, and so it felt it was. But when they did it, they felt something was wrong. Therefore, they, 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 ate, they ate of that until one day, again, she was near that tree. She got this, the, the, the serpent started to change her beliefs. Did God really say that? Are you sure that's exactly what's meant? And what's happening? We're changing our beliefs. We're changing what, and she saw that the fruit was good, she saw that it looked good. She thought, ah, you know, how wrong can this really be? Why is this tree here anyway? You know, if God's not trying to hold out on me and stuff, suddenly when they ate that, something was wrong. And I believe, can we use the more modern word, they felt this cognitive dissonance. They knew better. God said, don't. But they did. And so there was this shame, there was this, uh, they, they, this attitude adjustment, and next we find them trying to what? Hide and cover themselves, and then we see them hiding from God. Why? Because when that, what they did and even what they felt did not match up to what they knew. There was a problem in their spirit. It was not matching up. So deep down, they knew that God had told them what God had told them. Their attitude changed towards it. Their behavior changed towards it. And now what happens? They feel guilt. They feel shame. They feel bad about this. When God asked them what was going on, they started adding another cognition. Well, she did it. Well, he did it. Well, you shouldn't have planted it. Well, on and on and on. Just pointing fingers, adding to justify what they did. And this still happens today. Someone may read the word of God, thou shalt not. But they really want to. They desire to. Their attitude towards it starts changing. Is that, you know, 
Bible's an old book. That was written a long time ago. Or, well, I don't do that, but I know one of the choir members that do this. And we justify. And we add cognitions. And we finagle. We do whatever we can to make ourselves feel better. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a normal function of our bodies, but you have to be aware of it because if not, you will turn yourself over to a reprobate mind is exactly what will happen. We have to understand God's spirit flowing through us can renew our minds. God's spirit flowing through us can displace our carnality. We'll find it easier to keep our carnal nature in check. And But the struggle, I'm not saying the struggle will never be there because that's why Paul said, I die how often? Every day. I struggle with the flesh every single day. But this does not have to be an all-out war that takes our mind and our body and our spirit and wells and, and wears us completely out because it's simply the more I trust Jesus, the closer I get to Jesus, the more like him I want to become. The things of this world grow strangely dim. Sure, we've got to repent. Yes, we got to start living according to his, according to what he wants us to do. That will relieve so much of our cognitive dissonance and of the stress and the things that happen in our lives. James 1.8, a verse that is so powerful. I've quoted in this book, but I've quoted in counseling sessions. I've quoted it a hundred times in the past year, I think. A double-minded man is unstable at church. In everything, in all his ways. James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he's run away from you. No. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, this so many times is saying, simply make up your mind that you're going to live for Jesus. Make up your mind that you're going to live for him. I have met people, and I've got to hurry here, but I have met people so many times that will say, they'll do this and they'll live for the Lord, and then it just they're fighting the flesh and do all this stuff, and they're just halfway in and halfway out, and the, the Spirit will come in here and convict them, and they'll be in the altar crying, and then they, oh, then they go home and do something. They get all upset with themselves, and then they feel defeated, and then they, and then they finally just say, I give up, and I quit, and they backslide, and they will say things like, I've never had so much peace. I just, everything is just so calmed down in my life. Well, there's a pleasure of sin for a season, first of all. But do you know what happened to them? There's no more cognitive dissonance. They've thrown in the towel. They've given up the fight. And so, yes, there's peace. Of course there's going to be peace. Because there's no more wrestling. There's no more fight. There's no more, there's nothing to worry about because I can just live like I want and just be happy as I want and just go everywhere where I want to do. I heard a comedian one time said, if you want to, you know, that people are looking for a church wherever, but nobody judges and you just feel comfortable and everybody's happy and nobody looks, you know, just whatever. And they said, you ain't looking for a church. You're looking for a bar. Which probably correct. 
Because what happens in this church? We want everybody to be happy. We want everybody to be comfortable. But you know what I want most of everything? I want the Holy Ghost to convict us to drive the sin out of us is what I want. Well, that may cause some cognitive dissonance. Yes! Change your behavior. And it's fixed. But you understand what happens sometimes. We go one foot out and one foot in, and we're riding that fence. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that is a hard life to live. It is extremely difficult. It is double-mindedness, and it will cause us to be unstable in everything. So instead of rejecting themselves and their behaviors, people reject the beliefs, and they reject what other people say, and they reject everything about the Word of God because they want to feel peace in their own spirit, and that's not the way to go about this. The way to go about this is to gird up the loins of our mind, to put on the armor of God, to think on things that are lovely, just pure, to take care of the temple of the Holy Ghost. And then what will happen is we can have abundant life in Jesus Christ. We can have the fruit of the Spirit, and we can be sensitive that the gifts of the Spirit operate through us. That is, to me, what an apostolic church is. So what's the point of all this coming to close? We have to always be open to the truth of the scriptures. That's the source of truth. What does the word say? Mirror, mirror in my hand. What does the word show me? No matter what discomfort it may cause us, no matter how it makes us feel, no matter what it costs us, there will be struggles, yes, in our flesh at times, and, and I may not want to submit always to the things of God, but we have to understand it's the right way because it's the truth, and, and there's nothing else that we can build our life so secure on. So maybe we bear the marks of being unpopular or the scars of being ridiculed for our beliefs, but truth is still truth. So let me ask you, when presented with truth or something you just don't feel or something you don't want to quit doing or I don't want to do, whatever the case may be, what's your reaction? Is there discomfort? Is there that dissonance? And I use the biblical word and say, is there conviction? What do you do with that? This is what I'm telling you tonight. What do you do when conviction hits? What do you do when your actions don't line up with the forever settled word of God? What do you do when you hear the word of God proclaimed But it's not what you want to do. Or that it's not what you want to believe. Do you justify? Well, those people do that. Or those people are good people. They can't be wrong. Do you ignore it? Some people may believe that, but I really don't. Do you rationalize it? Well, I don't see it that way. Or I ask you to get rid of the cognitive dissonance, to have peace in your body, in your soul, in your mind. Submit to the Word of God. And when you do that, there will be peace that floods you like a river. 
there will be strength that comes to your mind. There will be attitude changes and there'll be beliefs that are, that are, that are, that are reformed in you and aligned with the word of God. So is it important that we take care of the temple? Yes. Is it important that we gird up the loins of our mind and think on these things? Yes. Because all of that leads to us being a spiritual being where we can hear his voice, submit to his voice, and do what he says. Because ladies and gentlemen, God is preparing this church to take us to places we cannot even fathom. But we can't do that if we're all sickly or if we're all fighting or if we're all upset. But if we get whole in our body and in our mind and we get spiritual in our prayer life and in our walk and in our word of God, God is going to open up the windows of heaven and pour down things on this church. I want to be a part of that. I want to get in line with his word. I want to do what his word says for me to do because he is going to do marvelous things. Stand to your feet and claim the promises that he's given. We trust you, Jesus. We believe you, Jesus. We call on your name, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I could teach hours on this stuff, and I won't. But don't find your confidence in a thumbs up on Instagram or whatever they do on Instagram. Don't find your confidence in what people say. Find your confidence in what he says. And he said, you're bought with a price. He said, I'll never leave or forsake you. He said, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that, and I think what God says is the most important. I want to please him. I want to be like him. I want to align with him. Let's pray together for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would check my heart. Check my spirit. Check my attitude. I pray, oh God, that the things that sometimes I struggle with that cause me stress, that cause me sleepless nights, that, that cause me anxiety and all these things, Lord, I pray that you would help me to submit. I know, Jesus, that there, there's different causes of different things, but Lord, let us make sure that this one's right. Let us be grounded on your word. Let us focus on your word and your will and what you have for us. I pray that you would help us, Jesus, to be made in your image, to be like you, to conform to you, I pray. I pray that you would touch each one, bless us, and let us have a wonderful week. In Jesus' name, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Now we got to work. I need all the chairs. Stack them in stacks of six and take them to the back of the church. Okay? And then we're going to get some tables. Read the sign. Okay? So please don't take tables out of the fellowship hall. We'll have to put them back. There's a lot of stuff, as usual, going on.